Welcome to the most empowering show on the radio, the show that proves that you don't have to settle for the way your life is, that you can do the things that you love. Face your challenges head on and start down the path of living the life you always wanted. You know you have. It's called Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and we hope to inspire you through the stories of world-renowned experts, music industry icons, beloved TV stars, and others living extraordinary lives. You know, folks, Growing Bolder is not just a radio show. It's a TV show. It's a magazine. It's a website. Really, it's a movement that's offering hope, inspiration, and possibility to people of all ages. In the next hour, you will hear from Potsy from Happy Days. He's going to Tell us what he's been up to and also reveal some pretty dark secrets about his past. We'll get some interesting advice from Kimberly Snyder, who's one of the hottest nutritionists going today. We're going to talk to the oldest person to compete to complete the Boston Marathon. And we'll hear the story of a woman's brush with death after childbirth and what we can all learn from her ordeal. But first, one of the most unlikely music industry giants, amazing people, amazing stories. It's time for Growing Bolder. My thank you best of go now I'm getting mighty mad The following interview was recorded before the passing of our guest Well this is one of the most important songs in the history you're following me here aren't you of recorded music because it was a first hit record to come from Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals. Now here's the second. That's Jimmy Hughes with Steal Away, and you wouldn't believe what was to follow. Percy Sledge, Wilson Pickett, Aretha Franklin, Etta James all made lightning strike again and again from this little studio in Muscle Shoals. Amazing. And, of course, the question is why? What drew them there? What did they have there that all the big record studios in New York and L.A. didn't? Well, we're about to meet the answer. The one man who, against all odds, turned a tiny Alabama outpost into the greatest little town in rock and roll history, the man who built Fame Studios and the Muscle Shoals Sound, Mr. Rick Hall. Rick, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Man, what a, a build-up, man. I don't know if I can follow that or not. What a ride you've been on, and you took us all with you, and we thank you for that. Let, let's talk this real quickly, because you got a brand-new book out, which really is a must-read, not just for music fans, but, but for everybody, really. It's called The Man from Muscle Shoals, My Journey from Shame to fame. I'll let Bill get to the shame part, but first the fame. You wrote, you played music, but what credentials did you have really, Rick, to make you think that you could make the kind of records with the kind of stars you did? Well, I'll tell you, I, I didn't have uh, any formal training. I had no uh, uh, teachers that taught me music except my father. He was a Southern gospel singer and uh, taught little singing schools here and there when 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 our crops were laid by and we had nothing else to do during the summer months. And so he, whatever whatever he taught me is what I knew about music. And so I never read music, still don't read music. And I've just, uh, God's been good to me. I mean, he's been very good to me. And I've had, uh, I've had uh, more, I've had more than, than I've ever earned of success. And, and a little town, as you say, in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. But, but what about the people here was those two songs you just played. Uh, they, they liked what they heard, and they wanted some of it. And it's incredible, Rick, that you're the guy that created that, and even more so. You were never really in the business of making records, because for you, that wouldn't have been enough. You were there to make hit records, and that's what you did. I wanted to make number one records. Thank you, sir. Uh, I wanted to make number one records, and I wanted to change the music industry forever, of course. And I also wanted to make some money. I was uh, I was not ignorant to the fact that we were poverty-stricken, and my family was poverty-stricken, and we, and my dad was a sawmiller and a sharecrop farmer, 
and we plowed mules and, and, and that kind of thing when I was growing up. So we didn't have tractors and all the modernistic equipment that we have today. And so, I, but I wanted to be somebody special. I wanted to be make something out of myself that would people, I, my, my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids would be proud of me, you know. And so I wanted, uh, unlike, so I grew up tough and uh, a little sarcastic and a little bit mean and uh, mean spirited, but I wasn't mean to the people that worked with me. But uh, but I've, I've kind of somehow. I've wound up with a reputation of being this guy. <laughs> well, mission mission accomplished on wanting to be somebody. Way to go. What was it about the music industry that you wanted to change? What didn't you like about it, or what was your vision for it that didn't exist at that time? Well, I, I wanted to cut black music, and I felt that Alabama was the place to start because uh, down the road, uh, it's uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, was uh, George Wallace saying uh, segregation now, segregation forever, and so and so. But but I, I wanted I wanted to record black people because I love black music and I I grew up on it, played in a band with it, and played we played those kind of fraternities and and all they wanted to hear was uh, uh, was Clarence Frogman, Henry, or Gary U.S. Bonds and that kind of thing. So. That was my faith, and uh, that was that was what I wanted to do. So I, I accomplished that most of it, and uh, and of course along the way I recorded a number one record on Paul Anka, Mac Davis, uh, Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett, Eddie James, Dwayne Allman, the Allman, the Osmonds, uh, Donny Osmond, and Bobby Gentry, and Alabama, the group Alabama. And, you know, Rick, that would have been more than enough for a great story, but here comes the shame part, because in your life, your experiences, and this is important for people to realize, because we all go through it. You've had so much pain and heartache. Let me let me call out just a few. I know when you were a kid, your, your brother was accidentally scalded. He died. Your dad blamed your mom. She left the family forever. And later you flipped a car and your wife died in that accident. Later you wanted to repay your dad for your success. You bought him a tractor that rolled on him and killed him. Rick Hall, how much, how much can one man take? I don't know. It's it's tough. It was a tough journey. I, I, I'll tell you that. Uh, and, of course, I think that that had to do with some of the success later on in life I, that I had because uh, – I learned to, to, you got to live through those things, and you've got you, a certain amount of punishment that you'll come over in your life, and and so so I lost the two people I love most, my first wife and my and my dad, and of course my dad raised me, and uh, so he was my dad and my mother too, so I lost everything, and I I thought for a while that God had forsaken me and uh, turned away from me. And, and uh, that was depressing, you know. So, but I wanted to be somebody. I, I, I really wanted to be somebody special. So I, 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 of course, the shame of it all was my mother not only left my father, but she left uh, me and my sister for my father to raise. And of course, uh, she went to work at a red light district, and that was just, that was the most shameful thing that I'd ever went through in my life, and has been all my life. And of course, you know. Uh, I was ashamed of the fact that she did that. I was ashamed of the fact that we were so poverty-stricken, and we lived in uh, almost shacks that were had dirt floors and straw beds that we pulled the straw out of the fields to make our beds and uh, eat up with bed bugs and, and that kind of thing. So I, I had a tough life. I, 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 there's never been a, a, a black man or a white man who's endured what I've endured my, during my lifetime. But, I, but thank God that I've, I've, I've risen above it all. And uh, my, my theory was that anybody could be a millionaire by the time they're 40 years old, but I want to be one by the time I'm 30. So I've, I've accomplished most of that. <laughs> Folks, he, he is Rick Hall, a music icon, a music pioneer. He started Fame Studios in, in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. He's written a book, and Rick, I want to read the book, but man, now I want to see the movie. When are they going to make a movie about your life? I think I think that's coming, but 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 I can't be for sure. Sure, 
but there's a lot of interest in it uh, and the book and a lot of interest in me and, and my life and how I lived it. You know, making whiskey with whiskey makers and living in the Freedom Hills. And my father was a sawmiller and a timber cutter and that kind of thing. So I was, uh, uh, but when music came along, I felt like I had a shot, you know, and because I love music and I love my job in as a record producer. And so I, I, I was a musician, a songwriter, and then I became a record producer and, and had a lot of success doing it. I, I heard Rick, they're, they're trying to get George Clooney to play you in the movie. <laughs> well, George Clooney would be great. I, I mean, I, I wish I looked like he looks, you know, but unfortunately I don't. But uh, but that would be, a, a, I think that would be incredible. I think he would be great. Hey, before we let you go, in our last 30 seconds, you know, you've endured so much rejection, so much pain, and I, and I think people can relate to what you went through. And to achieve the level of success you did, do you have like a one-sentence or a one-phrase motto that, that you can inspire the rest of us with? Oh, Lord. Well, uh, I, I must just say that uh, because of what I went through, uh, it toughened me and toughened my hide, and so I was uh, I was... Uh, I was bound and determined to be somebody special, and uh, and and that's what drove me. Uh, I've I've been always been a very competitive man, and so I wanted to uh, I, I wanted to make my mark in life. Hey, and Rick, thank you for that. You know, for all of us who love music, thank you for the contribution you made to all of us. I'm I'm glad it worked out for you. I'm sorry for all you've been through, but but we love your story. We love what you stand for, and and the book is called The Man from Muscle Shoals. Check it out. Our guest has been the legendary, the iconic Mr. Rick Hall. Thanks so much, Rick, and best of luck in the days to come. You can purchase the book at Fame F A M E number two dot com. You got that, folks? Fame? Yes. Number two dot com. Go get it, folks. I guarantee you won't be able to put it down. Childbirth was the best day of her life and the worst when it triggered a rare but potentially deadly heart ailment. It's a story of surviving and thriving next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by our partners at Florida Blue Medicare. It's important to know what's covered, so together we've created a guide that makes Medicare easy to understand. More information at growingboulder.com slash guide. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingboulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Mark Middleton and Bill Schaefer here piloting the Growing Boulder Express, and it's time now for our surviving and thriving story with the right kind of care and support and, of course, the right attitude. It's possible to not only survive life's greatest challenges but to actually thrive in the aftermath. You know, Mark Dina Jalbert was ready for the greatest experience of her life, the birth of her very first child, and it was exactly what she hoped for. But shortly afterwards, she realized something was very wrong. Hers is a story that reminds us that we never know what challenges wait around the corner, but with that right attitude and that right support, we can get through just about anything. Where it all went sideways was when we went home on the third day, um, I swelled up like a Macy's Thanksgiving Day balloon. So I called my obstetrician. She said, oh, honey, that's normal. Uh, Every woman has that. Dina Jalbert's condition was anything but normal. She kept getting worse, to the point where she struggled to breathe. She rushed back to the hospital hoping for answers, only to find confusion. 
So I grew very frustrated because each physician would come in and kind of say something different. Well, I really think it's pneumonia. The other ones, well, I think you have your congenital heart failure. Well, what is it? She was sent to intensive care where frustration quickly turned to fear. Very much so, because with each day that they didn't know, it made me more concerned. Like, well, how am I stumping them? How bad is this that they don't know? How have they not seen others like me? What happened next was even more of a shock. They drained 35 pounds of fluid off my, and I'm a very short individual, so. 35 pounds of fluid and a frightening diagnosis, peripartum cardiomyopathy, a condition triggered by the excessive pressures of pregnancy on the heart. I was a hot mess, just postpartum, hormonal, crazy. That's a hard enough time um, to manage to try to have thought logic and to try to process something um, as major as that. Frustrated, frightened, and still confused, Dina felt she needed a more effective team around her. So that's when um, I was put into the hands of the folks at Florida Hospital, and it was such a change. Um, My physician, Dr. Fahey, was the best. It can catch patients and doctors unaware, and but the important thing is once it's recognized is to treat it aggressively uh, with a coordinated approach between the obstetrician, the internist, and of course the cardiologist when it was determined that the heart was involved in this whole process. Unlike at the other facility, Florida hospital physicians made the right diagnosis and quickly implemented a plan of action that soon had Dina back to health. And a year later, Dr. Fahey gave her the confidence and reassurance to try pregnancy once again. This time, there were no surprises. And with his help, the Jalberts welcomed their second child into the family. All right. Double high fives. Yeah. Most people who come to cardiologists tend to be a little bit older. But yes, we have young people who have sudden events like this, sudden conditions. The stakes are higher, obviously, in a pregnant woman uh, when you're dealing with two lives instead of one. Um, But, uh, again, that's what we're here for, and uh, I'm glad everything's turned out wonderfully for her. Yeah, I tell him this all the time, and I think sometimes he kind of, I don't know if it it rolls uh, off his back a bit, but if it weren't for him, we we certainly would not have Whitney, without question. What was the difference? Dina says it was a totally different attitude in the way the entire staff treated her as a patient. The number of people who came to check on me was amazing. Whereas, you know, my prior experience, I'd sit in there for hours by myself and have to call for someone to say, hey, 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 can I have some more water? Or is anybody going to check on me? Have we heard anything new? It's those little details that sound very simplistic, but when you're there by yourself and you're crazy like me, all postpartum and and, uh, emotional, those little details make a difference. Such a difference that Dina and the entire Jalbert family now volunteer to help raise funds and increase awareness so that other moms can better deal with the issues she encountered. Who gets emotional about their doctor? <laughs> I know, right? Um, and so it goes back to your question, why, you know, why do I now give my time? Because of that, because it really... It's the little things, even down to the nurses, you know, the way that that institution truly partners in the care of the family. It's not just of the patient, but it just was such a marked change. And I'm so attached to it in that they truly care. And it it makes an emotional impact. You know, I'm a a grateful patient in every meaning of, of the word, for sure. Yeah! Good job! Good job! Dina, her husband, and those two kids are happy and healthy, and a family was something they took for granted for a long time, but now, Mark, they appreciate it every day. Yeah, and it gets better than that, folks. We are happy to report that Dina's heart function is back to normal. She's active. She's doing fine. And it was basically told that as long as she stays in shape and has her checkups, there should be no problems at all in the future.
You know, one of the questions that we get asked a lot is, why do you interview so many celebrities? It's actually one of our favorite things to do because they almost always end up revealing things that we never expected to hear. You know how right that is, Mark? You know, we always get the impression their lives are somehow easier. But they face many of the same things that we all do, if not more. Some have incredible stories to tell, like infomercial icon Tony Little. Hi, I'm Tony Little, entrepreneur, author, infomercial icon, and America's fitness trainer. I've learned that life can be a beautiful thing, but the road to get to where you want to go is never a straight line. There's turns and potholes and roadblocks everywhere you look, and most of the time, they're completely unexpected. But you know what? You can get around them. You can get around all of them. I know because I've done it. I've discovered that they're just part of the path. Let me tell you about me. My father walked out on us. I got in trouble as a teen. I've been in four near fatal car accidents. I've been addicted to painkillers, was electrocuted twice, nearly drowned twice, and was drugged and kidnapped. I've spent over two years of my life in the hospital and rehab where I gained over 60 pounds, and that's just for starters. I faced a lot of adversity, and yes, I've sat there and said, why me, why me, why me? So how do you get past the potholes? You steer with your attitude. It's too easy for a negative mental outlook to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You've got to stay on the road and start believing in yourself. You've got to believe there's always a way. First step is to say it. Second step is to believe it. There is always a way. Stay on the road and turn adversity into victory. You can do it. Up next, we'll run a few miles with the oldest runner to finish the Boston Marathon. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. You're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. More and more people out there, Mark, I think, are getting the message that if there is a true fountain of youth out there, it's exercise, both for your body and for your brain. And for most people, I'd say the exercise of choice is running. Yeah, more and more people getting into it. Uh, I guess the big question is how far can running take you? Well, we're going to see if we can get the answer to that from our next guest. She is the oldest person to complete the 2015 edition of the Boston Marathon, and she is smashing the stereotypes of what people believe is possible in later life. And she's doing it uh, with both sweat and a smile. Let's say hello to 82-year-old Catherine Byers. Hey, Catherine, how are you? Fine. Thank you. I'm very well. Well, you know, we're thrilled to have you. And let me ask the big, deep question first of all. Why do you run? <laughs> you know, um, people will ask me, do I love running? And obviously I like it. But what I love are the rewards. You know, health rewards, energy, it's social. So, you, can, you know, once you start doing that and you realize that you instantly are rewarded, it just don't stop. Well, Catherine, you can like running and still not have to run 26.2 miles to finish a race. You're correct. That's true. That's true. But um, I seem to have this body that just likes long distance. I think long, slow distance is, um, yeah, fits me well. And how did you get into it? And I'm not talking about marathons because I think it's a progression for most people. But when did you actually decide that, you know, running around the block may not be enough for you, that you really wanted to do more than that? 
I started when I was 49. I was a librarian at the University of California, Santa Cruz campus, which is really like a national park. It's a gorgeous place. And I just started on my lunch hour. Somebody, I was yearning to do some exercise. I didn't know how to swim, play tennis. I wanted something I could just do myself. And I just put on my old U.S. kids and started going Mm -hmm. up the track. And then good runners said, get off the track because it's terribly boring. I would just go round and round. And one thing led to another. Then they told me to get new shoes, and I just kind of followed them around and got better and better and realized um, uh, I could do this sport, that I finally found my sport. How interesting that at that age. Now, what would 48-year-old Catherine Byers think of 82-year-old Catherine Byers? (laughs) anyone had told me that it would be crazy. I remember running a race when I was in my late 50s, and I, I knew there was a really good runner. I wasn't quite sure her age, and uh, she was amazing, and I figured out who it was at a race, and right towards the end, she passed me, and she turned to me, and she said, it's okay. You won the 50-year-olds, and I just won the 60-year-olds, <laughs> and I thought, I can't imagine running in my 60s. That seemed impossible, but now. I just never stopped, and here I am in my 80s. But I think back to that because it was sort of like nobody could tell. Nobody was around to tell me I could do it. It just seemed, well, you have to stop, you know, when you hit 60. But uh, that has certainly changed now for sure for women. Uh, Someone gave me a T-shirt that just said, just do it, and I treasure that T-shirt because that taught me. That helped. She is definitely doing it. Folks, this is the, the oldest woman to complete the 2015 Boston Marathon. And you mentioned that you run for the rewards, uh, Catherine. Not the awards, but, but the rewards. And certainly one of them is the socialization that you get. The running community uh, is a very tight-knit community. And it, it celebrates people like you because you're such a great role model. You're so inspiring. What kind of reaction do you get from the younger runners? You know, most all my running buddies are much younger. They're in their 50s. And uh, men and women, a few in their 60s. But, uh, well, I just get total inspiration from them. They tell me I inspire them, but they absolutely inspire me. You know, they, And, you know, if you run with better runners, you're going to run faster, try to keep up. And I think that was one of my success. I just would always try to keep up uh, to the run, uh, other runners. Um, it, it's not easy to find people, even in, certainly not in their 80s, but a few 70-year-olds around Santa Cruz, which is nice. But, but yeah, no, the younger runners are, are my inspiration. And, yeah, it's, it's very social. It absolutely is. You have a community. You go on long runs. It's kind of like a carpool. You get to know each other really well. <laughs> you're up and you're down in your emotions. And uh, that, I can't imagine not having that, that part of the running, which nobody told me I would have until I experience of myself after a couple of years. Catherine, you're, you've got, you're pretty courageous. You, you seem to be the kind of person that really likes a challenge. Is it true that you're the former mayor of Santa Cruz, California? Uh, yeah, you... I was mayor twice. I was on our city council 16 years and mayor two times. Um, yep, that's, that is absolutely true. I, I, when I retired, I said, well, I moved off the political page to the sports page. <laughs> Are you as competitive as ever? I mean, we've had Sister Madonna Booter on this program, and I'm guessing if you and the sister get together, uh, all hell is going to break loose. <laughs> you know, I haven't met her, but one year she did beat me by a minute at Boston, or maybe a couple minutes, I can't remember. And she's two years older than I am. I know her sport is really uh, triathlon, but I have great admiration because I can't swim. So that's why I do what I do. You started to get into it a little bit, Catherine, here in the final minute or so in our interview. Talk a little bit more about how this thing that you just made yourself do at the age of 49, this getting out and running, how how has it changed your life? You know, it was such a progression. I, I don't don't know whether I can really give a great answer on that. You know, it instantly... Uh, Help me at work, uh, especially when I get into politics. Uh, the morning before a big meeting, you know, I'd run by myself. 
I'm not sure that's any one thing because it was a slow progression for sure. I mean, I I was 60 when I went on the city council and I started running when I was about you know 49. My first marathon at 51. Um, but obviously I've got a little competitiveness in me, and I still do, um, but maybe the politics did that. Hard to say. You know, it's amazing. Uh, Bill opened this interview by saying that exercise could be the fountain of youth. And, folks, if you don't hear it in her voice now that you have met uh, Catherine Byers, the oldest woman to finish the Boston Marathon, you've you got to believe it. This is an active, engaged, very bright, articulate, interesting woman. Passion breeds passion. Folks, if you want to live longer, take a tip from Catherine Byers, 82 years old, the oldest person to finish the Boston Marathon. Catherine, thanks so much. Up next, she's nationally known as a nutritionist for your mind, body, and soul, whose glowing green smoothies are all the rage. Kimberly Snyder joins us next. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. We're going to talk nutrition now, but not just the kind of nutrition you're thinking. We're talking about nutrition for the mind, the body, and the soul. Uh, and we're not going to talk to just any nutritionist, but one that is a New York Times bestselling author of The Beauty Detox Solution, The Beauty Detox Foods, and The Beauty Detox Power. Nothing but the best on this program, Mark. She's also a yogini, a world adventurer, and the nutritionist of the stars. You've seen her on Good Morning America, the Today Show. I saw her on Dr. Oz, wow. and she's been in the New York Times and Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, but we like her for her been-there-done-that approach to what she does. Let's say a big hello to a name you probably know, Kimberly Snyder. How are you, Kimberly? Good morning, guys. How are you? you I'm know, doing great. You know what we like about you? You're not like the other nutritionists. You're, you know, you're about a lot more than just looking at what we eat. You've got a, a much more holistic approach. Yes, yes. You know, I think that people, one of the biggest misconceptions is obsessing about numbers, trying to reduce things down to calories and carbs and protein. And it, it just it creates this sort of yo-yo effect. It creates an obsession, feeling you need to bring your calculator to dinner. And I think it's important to recognize that all parts of our life are really interconnected. And that's what I really talk about in this next book and the new book, BD Detox Power. It's not just what's on your fork. It's not just oh, we've been taught 70 to 80% of how we look is our diet and 20 to 30% of how we look is our, you know, how we work out. There's this whole other factor that people don't even think about, and it's the role of the mind and the role of the mind in weight loss, in health, in beauty. So I'll give you guys an example. You know, we all know that stress that starts in the mind can create cardiovascular issues, things like heart attacks, heart disease, and peptic ulcers. But it's not as widely discussed that stress and thoughts in the mind actually impact your second brain, which is your gut, which is your digestion. And that impacts how you hold on to weight, how you lose weight or not as easily. And also the top eight food cravings, uh, the psychological reasons behind each one. There's so many different factors in our life that are related to the mind, including weight loss. And that's, I, you know, I really wanted to write about this because I think so many people struggle because they don't understand it. You know, not only do we struggle, Kimberly, this is a frustrating topic for all of us. Uh, and, and you've got to understand that because we hear so many different kinds of things. And I love the fact that you talk about that, you know, everything is interconnected. And, and, and son of a gun, the audience for this book is literally every person in the world. And, and, speak, yeah. and speaking of that, after you graduated from Georgetown, that's pretty much what you did. You visited the world. You went to every continent but Antarctica, studied their cultures, their lifestyles, their habits. How did that change you? So I was, yeah, I, I traveled for about three years by myself, 
through over 50 different countries. And most of the time, although I was, like you mentioned, in Eastern Europe, most of the time was Africa and Asia and some South America. And this really changed everything for me because it took me out of the Western world and gave me a different perspective. And in many countries around the world, they are very healthy, they have great skin, they manage their weight well, and they don't obsess with numbers. And they're not into all this, you know, these crazy dietary fads, this up and down, this yo-yoing that we see in the West. And it started to shift my mind. Wow, it doesn't have to be this way, you know, and we can actually live and be joyful and digest well and not age as quickly and, and manage our weight. It doesn't have to be this obsession. So when I came back to the United States, I started my blog and I just started writing about my philosophy and I, you know, I studied nutrition in a more formal sense as well. But then people just became interested and, and the second segment I ever did, the second TV segment I ever did is Good Morning America. And I naturally started attracting some celebrities and then the books came, which I'm really passionate about because I think everybody should know this information. It's just, what we hear mostly about is, and that's why it's frustrating. Oh, this, you know, this fat loss pill or this quick fad or lose weight in 48 hours. And that's not a lifestyle. That's not how we were meant to live. And if you keep getting more excessive food, then you don't have as much energy for your personal and professional goals and your happiness decreases. So I want everyone to have energy, to feel great. And when you focus on that and you learn how to, you know, manage your digestion and all the tips and tools that I'm talking about in the book to create alignment, which is what I define power as being, you're aligning your thoughts, your words with your actions, such as how you eat, you become, everything becomes simpler and then you have more energy to enjoy your life. So that's really my philosophy. It's about everything is interconnected. Hey, Kimberly, you know, you stepped into a very difficult arena because there are so many people now who do what you do, who throw a book out there, who have some kind of an angle and some kind of advice. But that was one of the separators. Mark mentioned you traveling and getting a different perspective than ours. And when you came home, a pretty good barometer is that all these celebrities, as you mentioned, started to latch on. They started to tout you. Tell us who some of them were and what was it? What is it about you that drew you to them? So some of my clients include Drew Barrymore and Reese Witherspoon, um, Channing Tatum. If you look in the book, there's you know there's a whole list of, of many of them. Chris Hemsworth. So there's, you know, there's men and women. Um, I think that my approach again is so different. There are a lot of nutritionists out there, but it's kind of a lot of recycled information and sort of this idea around numbers and, and all that. And the society is a billion-dollar industry. If it was as simple as that, then we'd all be done after Weight Watchers, right? Or, you know, these programs we're just counting and tracking. So my approach is different. It's about digestion. It's about incorporating everything. And it's also about when you're nourished. I use the word beauty to be synonymous with health. When you learn how to nourish your blood and your kidneys and your liver properly, you have better skin and you have better hair. And so, you know, my celebrity clients came because, you know, my program works. And not only do you lose weight, but your skin looks great and you have a lot of energy. And so it did, you know, it it has gotten a lot of Hollywood attention. But as I mentioned, I'm just really passionate about the books because then it reaches everybody. Whether you're a busy mom or you're Drew Barrymore, we all have the same issues. We all have the same struggles. I, you know, I struggled with food cravings. I had weight problems. I had really bad acne. And so this information is universal and it's applicable and it's powerful and it works. And that's why I think that it's grown so well. Folks, we're talking with Kimberly Snyder, a best-selling author and, and nutritionist. And, and really the 10,000-foot view here, Kimberly, is, is you are about lifestyle modification a, as a whole, which is really a great thing, but it overwhelms many people. Take us right down to square one for a second, if, if you will. Where do we start? What can we do today to help us get on the path that you recommend? Sure. So first I would say abandon um, micromanaging numbers because I think that it leads to a lot of confusion, over-confusion. So get rid of your little apps and your charts and trying to track everything. Uh, 500 calories from potato chips is very different than digesting 500 calories from an avocado. You want to just 
get rid of that. It's a waste of mental energy, and it doesn't ultimately sustain. It doesn't work. It's not going to nourish your skin. Start in the morning. That's what I always say. It's great to start in the morning. Start with uh, you know, very simple, a mug of hot water with lemon. It's amazing. It's so simple. It's a ritual that will start to build you into better habits. Lemon has um, different enzymes that support your liver tissue, which is your main fat-burning organ. It's your main detoxifying organ. You're starting the day on an up with something as simple as that. It's hydrating, has vitamin C. And then I recommend, again, going through your morning routine. The glowing green smoothie is where a lot of people start to make huge lifestyle shifts. It's the foundation of my program. The recipe is in the Beauty Detox Power. All my clients drink it every day. And it's basically a mix of, it's not a juice, it's a smoothie. So it has a lot of fiber in it. Helps to balance your energy. It's got a mix of vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and enzymes. And once you start to experience more energy and you start to become, you step your foot into that freedom of not worrying about, you know, the, the calories and the carbs and the protein in it, but you're just focusing on nourishing yourself with whole foods that are grown in the earth, it starts to create a shift in your perspective because you feel it. You're not just charting it. You're not just telling your mind, okay, I'm supposed to lose weight this way. You're actually feeling it in your body. And believe me, everything starts to become simpler. When you let go, and you have to experience it first, which is why I say started in the morning. You'll start to feel better, and that will encourage you naturally to start making different and other changes throughout the rest of your day. Well, Kimberly, you certainly seem to bring the passion and the energy to it. And I know that's a big help because all of us want to eat better. We want to be healthier, more beautiful, as you say. And, and it starts from those little victories, starting with, with, with the smoothies and, and feeling that it does make a difference so you feel like you're not wasting your time. And, and folks, this is why the celebrities have latched onto her and all these different media outlets have as well. And as she said, she has a series of books out there called The Beauty Detox. Take a look at all three of them and start to change your life one step at a time. Our thanks to Kimberly Snyder. Thanks a lot, Kimberly. Up next, Potsy isn't Potsy anymore. We'll catch up with a Happy Days star as he reveals bits of his heartbreaking but inspirational past. This is Growing Bolder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. Well, this is Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. I'm really looking forward to this because we get to talk to one of my all-time favorite celebrities. You know him and you love him from Happy Days where he played Potsy Weber, but he's also done great work behind the camera as a director where he's gotten to reveal his creativity and his leadership abilities too, and the guy's so great at handling and treating people. Yeah, here's something you may not know. He is also an author. In fact, his book really touched a growing Boulder chord with us. It's the story of his life, which at times has not been easy. He's had to overcome obstacles, take risks, ultimately learn to believe in himself. The book is called Singing to a Bullfrog, From Happy Days to Hollywood Director and the Unlikely Mentor Who Got Me There. Let's say hello to the one and only Anson Williams. Hey, Anson, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good morning, yeah, thank or you. good afternoon. I, no, it's still morning there. Yeah, you know, I guess it depends upon where you are. We appreciate your time. Uh, first question, what took you so long to write this book? Because it's excellent, it's inspiring, and you really are a great storyteller. Why now? It's, it's a, you know, talk about just, you know, just kismet, everything lining up. And it's, by the way, it's singing to a bulldog, not singing to a bullfrog. <laughs> My bad. Thank you. <laughs> no, that's all right. No. Um, it was interesting because um, there wasn't, there wasn't ever supposed to be a book. Um, you talk about connecting, just going with your feelings. And um, a f- someone had called from Reader's Digest, um, and they wanted me to write a couple of stories for the magazine uh, based upon 
a couple of crazy situations that happened in my life. I have people, you know, I've told certain stories, um, and basically the Forrest Gump stories. You know, what the heck am I doing here? And they said, you know, would you do a couple, would you write up a couple of these stories with an introduction? I said, sure. I had really never written a magazine article before, and I thought that would be, uh, you know, fun to do. And um, so I'm sitting at the computer, and, and, I'm, and I thought, you know, I better just, you know, send the introduction, see if this, write an introduction, send it, see if that, that would be, okay, you know, the direction they'd like, like me to go. So I'm sitting at the computer, and this just feeling just came through me. And the first words I wrote, wrote down were, there'd be no stories about Willie Turner. And in this introduction, I explained how I was, you know, 15 years old. Um, I grew up um, in a harsh environment. My dad was a World War II father, so he was really tough. And basically, I knew everything I did wrong in life, nothing I did right. Pretty much a mess of a kid. Uh, un- not confident. Felt you really didn't have a place anywhere. But and we also didn't have a lot of money, so anytime you wanted, ex- you know, anything in life other than food on the table, you had to go out and you had to get a job. So I got a part-time job at Leonard's Department Store in Burbank uh, as a janitor. And uh, my boss was a man by the name of Willie Turner. And Willie uh, was African-American, uneducated, uh, and an alcoholic, but a functional alcoholic. Yet, if I would have ever judged this man, I wouldn't be talking to you today. This ordinary, or even less than ordinary-looking guy was extraordinary for my life. He brought me in. He called his janitorial room the talk room. And here's this, you know, little room with janitorial supplies, two oil drum cans in the middle to sit on. And when we weren't, you know, doing our job around, around the store, he's the first one I ever remembered that talked to me, not at me. And the time I was with Willie Turner, I found out who I was, what I was good at. I counted. And he taught me, you don't look at the mountain boy. You climb the mountain. That's who wins. You stop getting in the way of yourself. And this man hit my heart. By the time I was done with this, with this job, you know, I was ready to climb my mountain. So basically, I sent this introduction. I got a call back. This is a book. This is a book. And I had a publishing deal. And the book became more than a memoir. It actually paid Willie Turner forward. All those lessons, all the, that, that, that insight I found in that little janitorial room, I wanted to give to every reader. I wanted every reader to have the opportunity to have that same inspiration I had by Willie Turner. So it was an opportunity to pay Willie, again, pay Willie forward. And each, each chapter is not, what's not called chapter one or chapter two, it's called lesson one, lesson two. I mean, there's stories in there, crazy stories, getting kidnapped by the president of the United States' daughter at the White House, spending a day with John Lennon, meeting Elvis Presley in the parking lot, taking over for Sammy Davis Jr. at Harris Reno, uh, on and on and on. But every story has a bigger story, a story, that a lesson from Willie. So there's something more than just a story. There's something the reader can take away for their lives. And, and, and that was the whole inspiration for this book. Anson, do you get what you're doing, too? You're taking what Willie did for you, because you never know where inspiration can strike you in life, and you're turning it around, too. Here's a kid who didn't think he was anything. He becomes a star in one of the most beloved shows ever. Then early on, you know, we don't see anymore, so we don't know you're directing or whatever. You establish this great life, and and you're this happy guy. You're proof that anything's possible. And as long as you don't get in the way yourself. You know, and some people, you know, we stop ourselves. And it's, and it's also finding opportunity where it, it's, it's, it's all how you perceive things, too, or how you, how you accept things or what you see in a situation. Singing to a Bulldog, the title is the opposite of Jump the Shark, which came out of Happy Days. And uh, that's the precise moment when success starts to decline. Singing to a Bulldog is the precise moment when you, when you start to climb. Because the reason for the title of the book, again, I go back to 15 years old. I'm working in the appliance section with Willie at Leonard's Apartment Store. And I really, you know, and we're unpacking, you know, refrigerators. And back then the big deal was the freezer compartment inside the refrigerator didn't ice up. It just froze your food. So I tell Willie, hey, Willie, they should put up a sign, freeze your food, not your freezer. 
He looks at me and he goes, "That's good, boy. That's t- that's you find opportunity. You got you got that. You got the words to sell. You, you know, you see, th- you, you got that. You, you know, you got that magic. It's very important, boy. That's powerful. You, you use that right." And what he was telling me was, I had entrepreneurial ability. And a few days later, across the entire entire appliance section, was a a, a banner: "Freeze your food, not your freezer." And they sold out of refrigerators. Do you know what that made this unconfident kid feel like? I mean, I created it. It came from me. Well, that turned my life around. I finally had the, that, the knowledge that I had this opportunity of finding opportunity, of, of, of creating something out of nothing, of seeing maybe what other people don't see. That's an uplifting interview, Anson, and that's a, a great book that can encourage anybody in any situation. It's called Singing to a Bulldog, From Happy Days to Hollywood Director. I tell you, there's so much to it, so much more. You never know where inspiration will strike. Always great to catch up with one of the good guys in the television business. We're going to have to have you back again. Anson Williams, thanks a million. Time now for a quick takeaway, and it starts with a very important question. At what point is it too late to do what you love to do? Here's the answer, folks. It is when you think it is. There's no expiration date on dreams. We bring you examples every week of people that are doing things they never expected to do, living lives they never thought possible. But here's the point. They all started the very same way, by trying something different, by breaking out of their routines, by taking a chance. Yeah, and every one of them talked about how intimidating change can be and how hard it is. But the best change, the most lasting ones, happen in small doable steps at a time. Live the life you want to live. Be the person you want to be. You will absolutely bump into roadblocks and the unexpected, but you're smart. Look for another path. And as they say in Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. You'll be amazed at the life you build for yourself. Well, don't forget to catch us on Growing Boulder TV. Check out our magazine, Facebook page, and more. And remember, all things start at growingbolder.com. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder, LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trap. Countless fire and flaming road, using ideas as my map. Said I, proud me, eat it proud. Ah, but I was so much old.